Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. It's the monster from the swamps, Regis Ruguru Program. Hey, what's up? This is King Carlos Molina, former IBF world champ. This is Michael, the bounty hunter, 2012 Olympian and your people's champ. This is Charlie Edwards, flyweight champion of the world. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 290 of the Box Hard Podcast. I'm your host, Joey Coastman. I'm joined as ever by... Mr. Fast Eddie Chambers. Eddie, welcome to the show once again. How are you, my man? I'm good, my man. How you feeling? Always good when speaking with you, Eddie, and I truly mean that. Uh, this show is going to be, uh, I guess, slightly lengthy. Um, we're going to be you know, talking about the review part of the show. Quite a lot to review, both from Friday and Saturday evening, both from the UK and the US. Then, of course, we will have our sole guest, then, in part two, we will, of course, begin with the news part of the show. Um, at this stage, I don't think there's too much news, um, if anything, um, at the minute. So, yeah, I don't think there's anything just yet that could change. And then, of course, the preview part of the show. And once again, uh, there's not too much to preview, to be honest. Um, mainly, the you know, the, the card in the US with Canelo, it being Canelo Fight Week. But anyway, before we get into any of that, let's start with the review part of the show. We're going to start here at the Mecca of Boxing in the UK, the York Hall in Bethnal Green, London. Let's start with the undercard. Um, a win for Ryan Garner. He has 10 wins now, double figures. A, a points win over six rounds against Jordan Ellison, who's now 11-33 and 33 with two draws. Garner did get cut, though, quite bad um, in the third round. Uh, win for Troy Williamson. He was able to TKO in round six. Kieran Smith, the previously undefeated 16 and oh man. Um, really good stoppage actually from Troy Williamson. It was a really close fight with the bookmakers as well. Uh, Troy Williamson now 16 and oh with a draw. Uh, elsewhere on the card, we had Michael Conlon against. Um, I still don't know how to pronounce this guy's first name, but Ian Baluta, he's now 14-3, Michael Conlon 15-0, it was for the WBO International Super Bantamweight title, a majority decision over 12 rounds in the end, um, it seems like this guy Baluta is maybe better than his record suggests, which I think I said before, he was on a bit of a run, quite a lot of momentum behind him going into that fight there, or is Michael Conlon just not quite as good as some people think. We, we're we still unsure. Um, I remember him being kind of matched like nose and nose when he turned pro with Shakur Stevenson. But you've got to think, what would Shakur Stevenson do to a guy like Baluta? You know, it doesn't, it doesn't end in a majority decision. You can bet your life on that one. But yeah, Michael Conlon, you know, a win for him in the end, I guess. I thought it would be easier than what it was, but it wasn't that easy, to be honest with you. Um... 
Yeah, and the main event, Maruti Umfalane. I think I've said that right, actually, for the first time ever. He lost his IBF World Flyweight title. Uh, he was in search of win number 40, but it wasn't to be. He's now 39-3. and three, A unanimous decision, very wide in the end, for Croydon's very own Sonny Edwards. This guy literally uh, was born, I think maybe even in the same hospital as me. We're that close um, in terms of our location. He's now 16 and oh, A friend of the show, Sonny Edwards, very, very, very pleased for him. I'm just going to run through those 12 rounds. Um, first round, brilliant start to the fight from from Sonny Edwards. Totally bossed the round. He was he was unbelievable with his movement. Umtalani just didn't land a glove. Round two, once again, more, more excellent work from from Sonny Edwards, he wasn't just running and boxing off the back foot, he was standing and trading at times and getting the better of it, you know, hooks from both from both hands, he was switching stances, he was jabbing to the body, he found his opponent with uppercuts, everything, you know, it was it was a puzzle for Umtalani, good body shots as well from Sonny Edwards, Umtalani was just bamboozled to be honest, and the smoothness as well of how Edwards switches from orthodox to southpaw and back to orthodox again and again, is almost unnoticeable, and you know, that is a real talent in itself. Round three, a bit of a closer round, but still an Edwards round, more of the same. Umtalani did get a little bit closer, though. Round four, another round for Edwards, again, a much closer one um, for me. Umtalani was starting to close that gap. Edwards was breathing hard in the corner as well at the uh, at the end of round four. Um, round five, Umtalani was starting to look old in there. Um, you know, the writing started to appear on the wall. If Edwards couldn't keep up the pace though I felt he could be in some trouble like I say he was breathing heavy the the round before but so far at that point it was it was perfect it was perfect from him he hadn't put a foot wrong round six another round for Edwards um, perhaps he was tiring a little bit he was starting to not not sit down between rounds which I thought okay is he maybe feeling it but you know still outclassing the champion through the first half of the fight round seven probably an Probably um, Umtalani's best round of the fight at that point, but I wasn't sure he, he did enough to win the round. Edwards was 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 really really tired. I was starting to wonder, are we going to see another Jez Smith type performance where you start the fight excellently and then it all comes crashing down? Thankfully, that wasn't the case. Round eight, another round for Edwards again. Umtalani really just couldn't land on Edwards. He, he he's so hard to hit. It's incredible, and I just can't. I sound like I'm fanboying, but I can't even describe how good Sonny was. Uh, round 9, Richie Woodall gave that round to Mtolani, but I still wasn't so sure. It was another much better round for Mtolani, but I don't think he did enough to win it. Round 10, another one that Richie had close, and the corner of Sonny thought, thought so as well, but I actually thought it was another Edwards round. I gave it to Edwards in the end by a shutout. I gave him the 11th and the 12th. Um, the 12th round, he just spent the round making Umtalani miss, and he was countering him. But talent-wise, it was pound-for-pound-like. Um, yeah, he, he was incredible, to be honest with you, Sonny Edwards. I don't think he's my biggest fan, because... Um, I've tried to get him on the show, and there was a we had we had a tiny, tiny little disagreement once upon a time. So, I don't think he wants to come back on or whatever. But listen, I will always support anyone that's been on this podcast, and I am so pleased for him. I'm so pleased for the UK getting a new world champion. I'm so pleased that he was able to dethrone a guy that hadn't lost for 13 years, and that loss 13 years ago was to a peak Nonito Donaire. It was a massive win for Sonny Edwards. 
And um, yeah, really pleased for him. So that's him and his brother, Charlie Edwards, who's on the intro every week. They're, they're brothers, they've both been world champions. That is something, especially coming from a small place like Croydon, where I'm from. Uh, moving out now to the Manchester Arena in the UK. Did you hear hear about any of these fights at all on this card here, Eddie? I'm not sure, like, which, which, give me some of the, give me some of the, uh, okay, cards. so, so we will get to it, but in the, in the main event, Derek Chisora dropped Joseph Parker in, in the first seven seconds of the first round. I, I did hear a little bit about it, but I didn't really get a chance to see okay. much of it. I did right. hear about it. Okay, well, let's start there then, I guess, with, with the, uh, you know, the main event there. Um... Yeah, the first round, like I say, Chisora put Parker down in seven seconds of the first round. I don't think Parker was overly hurt. He, you know, he didn't seem that hurt to me. It looked like it was a shot a little bit behind the head as well. And, you know, Parker finished the round well, but obviously a 10-8 round. Round two, Chisora was starting to gas, you know, uh, already. But he was still pressing the action. Parker was being made to answer some questions. Uh, more of the same in the third round, really. Parker was probably getting the better of it, I felt, but he was struggling to get space. And from that point onwards, I decided to stop really kind of, you know, breaking it down round by round. So... In the end, I felt Parker probably did enough to get it, and in the end, he did. It was a split decision after 12 rounds. Uh, Joseph Parker now 29 and 2. Derek Chisora 32 and 11. I said it on last week's show. I didn't think anyone was going to get stopped in that one there, and I thought Joseph Parker would win on points. And actually, um, you know, that was what happened. So uh, I got that one right there. Um, but yeah, unfortunately, I didn't have too much more insight on the fight. But Derek Chisora, you know, his style that he comes forward, comes forward, comes forward. He gasses out, but he still carries on going for the rest of the fight. It is a problem for guys that can't deal with that pressure. You've got to be in really tip-top condition, which I think Joseph Parker was. He still looked pretty fresh late on. Uh, but Derek Chisora gives a lot of heavyweight. Uh, fighters problems and that is just the way it's going to be and I would like to see him in there with someone like a Joshua even though the fight I don't think is ever going to happen but you know he he gives a lot of guys problems I'm telling you that um, elsewhere on the card um, James Tennyson 28 and 4 now against Giovanni Strafon 23 and 4 with a draw um, it was for the vacant IBO world lightweight title. The Mexican came out of absolutely nowhere. No one wanted to see the fight because it was going to be so bad. And it was another time where the Mexican was able to completely tear up the script um, and, and, you know, defeat a Brit. And he knocked out Tennyson in one round. No one saw that coming. Uh, for Tennyson, it could be the end of the road. You know, he can't seem to take it when it's being put on him he he can really dish out a beating you know he's a he's a big puncher he can dish it out but he just can't really take it um i don't think he ever deserved a world title shot but when he got one he got stopped by tevin farmer who really doesn't knock anyone out and you know this is a comeback trial which he's on and it's come to a halt badly um i think that honestly could be the end of the road for him um Elsewhere on the card, Dimitri Bivol now 18 and 0, a unanimous decision over 12 rounds against Craig Richards now 16 and 2 with a draw. Friend of the show, Craig Richards. Friend of the show, Dimitri Bivol. But I was, I was gutted for Richards in a way because this was a big chance for him. It was for the WBA Super World Light Heavyweight Title. In the end, though, a very close fight on the cards. Um, two judges had it to Bivol by just one 
point. Sorry, one had it by one point. One had it by two points. It was really, really close. Um, I had it really close as well. Not a lot of people did. I felt that um, you know the first round, Bivol was straight on the front foot. Craig was happy to box on the outside. Richards was doubling up with a jab that worked a few times. Bivol was struggling to get on the inside of Richards. I gave the round to Richards. Uh, round two, Bivol was really starting to hit Richards with ease. He was piercing through Richards' guard with big jabs, power jabs. Bivol wasn't really letting the right hand go, but more so he was doing everything with the left hand. Sometimes doubling up with the left hand like a you know a jab followed by a left hook. He was catching Richards a bit too easily. I gave Bivol that round. Round three, best punch of the round was a straight right hand from Richards. It knocked the head back of Bivol. Really, really close round. Bivol probably was doing more of the work overall, but Richards, I think, was... Landing the better shots, even if you know there there were fewer of them, and Richards was also riding a lot of Bivol's shots. It was a really close round, uh, round four. I think maybe a round for Richards. Maybe I'm the worst judge ever because it was it was hard to not get biased. But I felt Bivol's work rate had dropped significantly in the mid rounds. Um, well, no, no, not really in the mid rounds, but sort of in the fourth round around that area. Uh, what I did like to see is Craig was really relaxed. He, you know, he didn't look out of his depth. He wasn't overwhelmed. He didn't freeze. He was very comfortable. Round five, I gave to Richards as well. Uh, but the commentators did did not agree with me at all, and um, you know, it was. You know, it was kind of crazy. I was going on Twitter and everyone was saying that it was like Bivol's fight completely. I think there was someone that 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 didn't give Craig a single round in the first six rounds. And I gave him, what's that, one, two, three, I think. Um, yeah, in the second half of the fight, Bivol, for me, nicked the seventh and eighth. I gave Richards the tenth. I can't remember what happened in the ninth. I think that was a close one. And then he, he finished really strong as well, Richards. He finished strong in the eleventh and twelfth. So... I don't know. It was a really, really close fight. A couple rounds I kind of missed with with um, the stream I was on. It was it kept letting me down and then kicking back in. Um, but yeah, Richards came on strong in the late rounds. He was out working Bivol. Bivol was was almost asleep um, in terms of his work rate. It was just non-existent. So huge respect to Richards. Um, what a fighter. Um, what a huge mammoth step up in class as well from British level right to the top of the world there. And he wasn't, you know, he wasn't knocked out. He wasn't hurt. He wasn't disgraced. Uh, it was the hardest fight I've seen Bivol win as well. So credit to Craig Richards. Um, really, really, really lots of credit. And yeah, Bivol, um, he didn't look like the, you know, the tactician, uh, the breakdown killer that some people thought he was. Um, so, yeah, I still want to see him fight Baturbiev. We'd all love to see that. The all-Russian showdown for all the marbles there. Uh, elsewhere on the card, um, what did we have? What did we have? Let's talk about um, Katie Taylor. She was able to move to 18-0. and 0. She defended her WBC, WBA, IBF, and WBO lightweight world titles against Natasha Jonas, who's now 9-2 and two with a draw. Um you know what? It was a great fight, to be completely honest. It really was um, closer than I felt it should have been. Um, you know, I think Katie Taylor, I said it on last week's show, I believe, I thought she was too precise of a puncher, and I thought she might even stop 
Natasha Jonas. But Natasha Jonas seems like she's improved tenfold since losing to Obernauf. You know, that seems a, a real age ago now. And Katie Taylor, you know, she just about scraped it. Like I say, another really close fight. I feel for Jonas because she's getting up there in age now. I'm not sure she's ever going to be a world champ, unfortunately. And she's, you know, she's pushed Katie Taylor really close. She's pushed Terry Harper really close. And, yeah, based on that performance and a few last performances from Katie Taylor, I don't think you can really have her as the pound-for-pound best because she seems to be in a lot of close fights these days, but she's up in age as well. Um, I think she's actually on her last legs. I don't think she should fight someone like an Amanda Serrano or someone like a, a Jessica McCaskill even. Oh, my God. Uh, but yeah, anyway, good stuff there for women's boxing once again. I'm all for that. Uh, elsewhere on the card, we had Chris Eubank Jr. move to win number 30. Roy Jones Jr. was in the corner with him. He's got those two losses, Eubank. He was able to unanimously beat over 10 rounds Marcus Morrison, who's now 23-4. and four. I've got to say, he made me eat my words a little bit, Marcus Morrison. I thought he'd be knocked out in a round or two or three or four or five at the very worst. Uh, Eubank did hurt him a few times, then he just laid off him. It's like he wanted him to recuperate not sure what was going on there i expected more from eubank i thought he'd stop morrison with ease and i think going the distance isn't really a good look and like i say he had boxed you know uh Degau, you know a former world champion he, he was able to look good in that fight i was there for that one uh then he beat um you know, by hook or by crook, uh, by crook, Matt Korobov, and then he dropped down hugely in levels for this one, and he didn't even get the stoppage. I don't think it's left a lot of people, you know, excited to see his next fight. Uh, elsewhere on the card, once again, Scott Fitzgerald with a win. Good to see him back. A third round TKO against Gregory Trennell, who's now 13 and seven with two draws. Scott Fitzgerald 15 and 0. I didn't actually see it, but Campbell Hatton he moved to two and 0, a points win over Levi Dunn, who is zero and five. Um, Campbell Hatton, yeah, both his both his pro fights have gone the distance i think that is it for that card there i've tried to go through that as quick as possible yep that's it for that one moving out now to carson california usa this is the final card to mention of the review part of the show let's start with um with the undercard a draw for adrian granados it seems like he is always in close fights and doesn't really get much luck to be honest he's now 21 and 8 with three draws a majority draw over eight rounds against jose luis sanchez who's now 11 and 1 with a draw uh elsewhere on the card we had uh erislandi lara with a knockout in the first round i think it was in about 40 seconds or something like that against thomas lamana um, yeah, Eris Landilara. <laughs> I thought it had points written all over it, that fight there. He's not always in exciting fights. He doesn't usually get an early knockout, but he did there. And it was for the vacant WBA middleweight world title. So Lara now a world champion at middleweight. Thomas Lamana now 30-5 with a draw. Eris Landilara 28-3 with three draws. Sebastian Fundora, the towering inferno. The man six foot five. Um, really um, bad blunder from the commentator. Uh, the, the commentator i'm not sure which commentator it was but one of the commentators said that they think they read somewhere that sebastian fundora who is six foot five or six foot six is taller than tyson fury so that made me giggle um <laughs> sebastian fundora now though 17 and 0 with a draw a tko in the fourth round against 
Jorge Cota, it was an absolute firefight, especially the first round. The two guys were just going at it, hell for leather. Cota now 30 and 5. Um, he, he came and gave it a right go, he really did. But, um, you know, the towering inferno got there in the end. And I think he's going to be a problem for a lot of guys. Like I say, he's absolutely huge for the weight. And when he gets the, you know, the full extension on his punches, it is dangerous. Like I said, the first round was amazing. Uh, the, the full leverage on his shots is lethal. Uh, both guys got caught with big shots in the first round. Both guys got rocked. Fundora did start to dominate. I think at the end, um, you know, at, at the end of the sort of first round, I think he started to take take over a little bit. Uh, then that was really it. Um, I think at the end of the fight that they actually said that that Fundora threw two jabs the whole fight. Everything else was power punches. You know he was hitting Kota at will um, at the end. You know with, with full leverage on his shots and Kota was getting hurt badly. And the referee after a while decided to jump in and stop it. The crowd booed, but I thought it was the right thing to do there from the referee. A hundred and thirty nine power shots, Eddie, against two jabs Fundora threw. Yeah, well, he had his, he had knockout on his mind, <laughs> and he went for it. And that's, you know, and, and obviously, you know, my style of boxing and what I like to do. But, I mean, if you have the opportunity to do it and you want to take the guy out, by all means, you don't get paid for overtime. No, you certainly don't. And it was it was a, a brilliant win from him once again. One of my favorite prospects of 2020. Elsewhere on the card, Omar Figueroa Jr., former lightweight world champion, now 28-2 and two with a draw. He actually was pulled out by his corner at the end of round six against Abel Ramos, 27-4 and fo- uh, sorry, 27 and four with two draws. I didn't see that coming at all. Um, gutted for Omar Figueroa, friend of the show. Um... Really confusing style as well. He was coming off a lot of inactivity, but he was deciding to use so much upper body movement initially. It looked tricky and it looked unorthodox, but it seemed to be quite an easy puzzle for for Ramos to solve. And he started timing his shots to perfection. Ramos had a big round in the fourth round. Figueroa had a nightmare start to the fight. Like I say, he was using a lot of energy, but not doing a whole lot offensively. Uh, Figueroa took a real beating. Um, I didn't give him a round in the fight, and like I say, his corner stopped it. Uh, I was pleased for Ramos because it's a big win. It's the biggest win of his career. I'm devastated for Figueroa, and I actually think that could be the end. You know, Figueroa doesn't really live the life. Um, We're going to be speaking to his brother, by the way, Brandon Figueroa, um, later on in the show. But yeah, Omar Figueroa doesn't really live the life. Um, He's come back to bite him, I think. And if he, you know, if he retired tomorrow, I'm not sure he's got enough money to, to, you know, to not need to work again, which is, which is sad. He was really uh, once a, a top fighter with talent, with promise. And I'm not sure what's left in the tank now. I can't see him becoming a world champion, especially up at welterweight. You know, his best days were at lightweight, and that was seven years ago. Where has the time gone? But, um, yeah, guided for him. Um, anyway, moving on to the main event. Let's go to that now. Andy Ruiz, now 34-2. and two. He was able to beat... Over 12 rounds unanimously, Chris Ariola, who's now, who's now 38 and 7 with a draw. However, it wasn't all smiles and rainbows. He was down in the second round, Andy Ruiz. Um, firstly, Ariola weighed in, Eddie, at his career lowest, which I thought was quite impressive from a guy who's 40 years of age now. 
Yeah, that's crazy. I didn't know that. Wow. Yeah. The lowest you they show well it shows that is he really, really had a go of it. He really wanted to really get out there and see what he could do. You know what I mean? And I, I give him all the credit. Anybody who gets in there at this stage in their career when most people are talking about retirement, not saying that he's not, but um to to go in there and put that kind of that forth that kind of effort, you know, to get into shape, to really, really get into shape. And uh, go out there and put on, uh, from what I understand, I mean, I didn't get a chance to watch much of it, or any of it, actually. Uh, he actually gave a good account of himself. So, you know, all the respect to Chris Everett. I honestly didn't think he had a shot in the dark. But, um, you know, I was wrong in a sense to say that he didn't have a puncher shot because he obviously dropped him. But um, credit to him, man. He really worked. He got himself in shape and he really tried to win. And that's uh, that's great. Yeah, absolutely. Especially, you know, the fact that he was coming off almost two years out the ring since losing to Adam Kalnacki back in August of 2019. And I know what Chris Ariola has been like in the past. He's not a guy that would normally train when he didn't have a fight um, lined up. He would just kind of eat rubbish and not train and do whatever, you know, abuse it really. Um but yeah, he came in like I said, two twenty-eight and a half pounds, which is the lowest of his of his entire career, which obviously spans back to uh, two thousand and three, which is amazing. Um, yeah, but the fight itself, uh, round one, Ruiz, you know, showing his really quick hands. We know about the uh, the unbelievably quick hands he's got, and he threw some stabbing jabs, real spiteful looking stuff, and uh, you know, and going to the body with those jabs as well, upstairs and downstairs. He landed a lovely straight right hand. Also, uh, round two, quick in the round as well. Down he went, Ruiz, out of nowhere. He came back. He didn't seem that hurt, but. I think he was also hurt again late on in the round, but the shot that put him down was a right hand behind the ear. Um, a 10-8 round for Chris Ariola. Round three, a rocky start to the round for Ruiz again. He was hurt early with a left hook, and I've got no idea how he didn't go down. He he crouched down like his, his legs buckled. You know, he almost kind of sat down on an imaginary chair. But he did manage to stay up. He managed to regroup, and he started measuring his shots better, and he finished strong. It was a Ruiz round, but a very crazy fight through the first three rounds. Round four, a round for, 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 for Ruiz. He was walking. Ariola down, but one thing I noticed was that Ruiz kept ducking to his right, which Ariola tried a few times to land that same chopping right hand behind the ear of Ruiz that put him down. Ariola came close with that shot a few times. Uh, round five, a round for Ruiz. He caught Ariola with some nice eye catching shots. Nothing um, too kind of silly from Ruiz. He wasn't over committing, it was clever. Uh, he always finishes off his combinations with a left hook as well. I think he. He uh, was fighting a little bit too aggressive in this fight. I think he was fighting a little bit too much like a one-punch kind of knockout artist. He was boxing a little bit like when he hurt Anthony Joshua. And he was just going for it with all-out aggression. And he is more of a boxer than a slugger. You know, I felt he was he was loading up a little bit too much needlessly. Uh, round six, around for Ruiz. Round seven, around for Ruiz. Every time Ruiz would throw a combination it was exactly the same three punch combination a left jab obviously a straight right and then a left hook um the same thing every time uh, round eight possible shoulder injury for Ariola. he turned away and winced for a second and Ariola's chin though he's still you know he's, he's still 48 or 48 40 years of age he, he's still got a great chin he showed that there um around for 
for Ruiz in the eighth, a big round for Ruiz, for Ruiz in the ninth. Credit to both guys for their conditioning as well. You know, we didn't see uh, breathing like we did in the Chisora Parker fight, uh, where it was mainly Chisora gassing out badly. This is a 40 year old man, and Andy Ruiz, who of course is, uh, you know, never in tip top shape on the eye. They were they were really you know still still full of energy. Uh, round ten a Ruiz round round eleven a really good round. I had Ariola winning the round until the last few seconds. It was a close one. It could have gone either way. Good jabs from Ariola. Ruiz looked a bit tired maybe uh, in that eleventh round. Round twelve a Ruiz round to close the show. And like I say, credit to both guys. Both tough as hell. And they put on a show. They put on a much better fight than. Uh, than you know than people expected like yourself like like me as well and a lot of people in the end were happy paying the pay-per-view price based on that performance in the main event which we don't always hear people say but um yeah that's it for the for the reviewing I've, I've gone through that as quick as possible was there anything you wanted to add to any of those those fights Eddie I didn't really come to you much obviously during the review part no I was just once again I was just wanted to say about you know Ariola him actually putting forth the effort. I mean, I know we, we used to hear him always talk about, you know, Big Bear and how he didn't want to go to Big Bear. And you could just tell he just didn't have the right attitude, you know, f toward his training and really didn't, I don't think, respected the game enough and got the shot with Vitaly Klitschko. And, you know, not to say that he wasn't prepared or he didn't try to train or he didn't get himself in shape as much as he could at the time, but he didn't respect uh, the game as much as he did, you know, as he does now. And as an older man, you know you need everything. You're going to need your best effort in every way to be as good as you could possibly be on the night because, you know, you're not quite as young as you used to be, so it's going to take a little more effort. And I'm just happy to see that somebody like that actually showed that, hey, you know, just because I'm aging, you know, it doesn't mean that I'm gone. And he gave a good account of himself. He, he put he put hands on Andy Ruiz, which I didn't think he was going to do. And even just getting down to that weight, and, and, and just come in to fight. It, it was a victory for him. So, I mean, his stock obviously must have went up some, at least, even in this situation in a loss. And uh, it's just good to see, man. It's good heavyweight boxing like that. Two guys uh, getting it in. And, you know, I didn't really think the, that it was worthy of a pay-per-view, but I guess maybe, uh, you know, you, you, got, you, got, you got your money's worth out of that fight. You know, two Mexican guys who we all know how tough Mexican guys are and how they like to fight. So, you know, maybe next time we respect it a little more, you know. Absolutely. And that wraps up the review part of the show. The final thing to do just before we wrap up part one is to welcome our sole guest. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the reigning WBA Super Bantamweight World Champion. He's back on the show. It is, of course, Mr. Brandon Figueroa. Brandon, welcome back on, man. Thank you. Thank you for having me once again. And, you know, I appreciate the opportunity. Hey, it's always great speaking with you, my friend. You're welcome whenever you want. Uh, so, Brandon, we last spoke back in August. It was just before that fight, uh, your last fight, obviously, against Damian Vasquez. Um, that was another excellent win for yourself. You became the first man to stop him. Uh, just give me a couple words on on that successful night back there in, in um, you know, the later part of last year. Uh, yeah, you know, I knew... I knew... You know, I knew he wasn't going to take the volume of punches, the power, just the, the body shots, you know, just everything that I bring into a fight. You know, I knew he was a fighter. He was a Mexican. He was going to come with everything. But at the end of the day, um, I knew that I was going to outwork him and outpunch him. So that's exactly what we did. Um, our game plan worked. And as you saw, 
the results came through and he just couldn't handle the, the punishment. And that's the thing, Brandon, because you bring a whole lot. And obviously, your you know your your alias, your nickname is the Heartbreaker. Is that from your you know your your youngish boy kind of looks with the ladies, or is it that you break guys' hearts in the ring? I've never known the answer to that question. <laughs> um, I I guess it's just the fact that you know uh, when I was fighting Mexico, you know it was the uh, the. It just came from from a region, from a little row of girls that I would go fight in Mexico in the arena, and every time I would step into the arena, there was a, a like girls waiting for me. Oh, the heartbreakers here, the heartbreakers here. So I guess it's because of my boyish looks, my baby face, and my blue eyes that that I guess that's where the nickname came from, and you know we've we stuck to it ever since. And nowadays, you get in the ring and break a lot of guys' hearts with. You know, your punch volume and stuff like that. Um, before we get on to your upcoming fight, which is, of course, the main reason you're on, we must talk about the disappointing fact um, that your brother Omar was unsuccessful on the weekend against Abel Ramos. I must say, I did not see that coming. I know you were sat ringside. What did you make of his performance, and how is he if you've had time to speak with him afterwards? Yeah, you know, he's great. I mean, it's a part of boxing. Um, you know, that's where you always got to go into fighting 100%. Um, I'm not with him 100% most of the time of the training camp. Um, I was partially with him. I would just see him at the gym. But at the end of the day, you know, with boxing, you can't really play with boxing. Um, so it was disappointing. You know, he, he's my older brother and I love him. And But at the end of the day, um, if you don't do things right in camp, then things are not going to go right in, in the fight. Um, but nonetheless, you know, with 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 his decision and, and I guess with the result of the fight, it pumped me up even more. You know, I have more to prove now. And of course, you know, he's my older brother and I love him, but at the end of the day, you know, we both got into the sport and we both know what it, what it takes to, to keep ourselves in this, in the sport. And not only that, but you know, to keep ourselves in a high level, you know, fighting these great, great fighters. So yeah, we've got to be in tip top shape. And if you're not, well, you know, the thing, things are not going to go your way. And getting on to your fight, May the 15th in Carson, California, you'll be fighting the reigning and undefeated WBC super bantamweight world champion, Lewis Neri. Now, tell me, Brandon, what do you make of Neri as a fighter, as a champion? Um, I, I feel like he's a great fighter as well. You know, he has that Mexican blood. We're going against another uh, Mexican fighter, another lefty. But, you know, all the hard work is, is in the gym. You know, he definitely does have pretty good talent but I feel like he's coming into my division into the 122 pound division um I feel like he had a good track record in the 118 and I feel like in the 122 it's a whole different story I mean we're not underestimating him at all we know what he comes with he's strong he's fast he's crafty and he, he moves pretty well so we're taking all that into consideration makes his team and that's why you know I stay in the gym I work hard and and we've been working on tactics for uh, makes his team and Luis Neri, like you say, he's a lefty. You're coming off that win last time um, over Damian Vasquez. He was also a southpaw. Does that make it easier to fight against a southpaw like Neri because of that fight with Vasquez, or do people read too much into statistics like that? Um, yeah, I mean, it does help because my last fight, you know, it was against lefty, and it helped me prepare better. It helped me be a little bit more comfortable fighting lefties and finding openings and angles to fight against lefties. So I definitely feel like it did help me, you know, fighting lefties. And now that, you know, I'm in training camp, I've been sparring lefties as well. 
just so I can get the timing right, the, the positioning, my angles, the the punches, and know how to move against lefties. You know, it's very important because uh, you know I I can switch lefty and righty, but you know most of my career I I think I've only fought on like four lefties, so um, I hadn't I hadn't really had the chance or the opportunity to fight against lefties. So now that I'm sparring against against lefties. And I'm fighting lefties more freaking frequently, you know. My my body, my timing, my my rhythm is getting more used to, you know, the uh, the the lefty fighting style. And this was probably my personal favorite fight out of the uh, the Showtime schedule that they announced two weeks or so ago. You know, you're both undefeated. You're both young world champions. You can both punch. Does this fight go to distance, Brandon? Um. You know, I feel like I feel like it might go to the distance. I feel like it might not. Um, I guess it's just how prepared he comes because I'm coming 100. percent And if he can take the my punches, the uh, if he can take my punches, and I guess the work rate that I come with because I'm gonna throw, I'm gonna go in to throw a lot of punches. You know, I'm gonna work them. I'm gonna put the pressure on him. So I think it just depends whether he he's come 100 percent, 100 percent or not. You know. Um, cause I'm coming with everything. I'm, I'm stronger than ever. I had a really good camp and I guess it just depends on, on how well he prepared. I mean, if he didn't prepare as well as me, then it's going to be, a, it's going to be a nerdy night for him. But, uh, as far as I go, you know, I expect a 12, uh, uh, a 12 round fight, you know, throwing a lot of punches, him coming forward, me coming forward. So it's going to be a great fight of, uh, uh it's going to be a great fight. Honestly, I just, I'm, I'm excited. And I just can't wait, to be honest. Neither can I. I cannot wait to watch it. And I also feel, Brandon, that you're a very focused guy. You know, you live the life. I don't think you've ever overlooked anyone since turning pro. Are you expecting this to be the toughest fight of your career so far? Yes, sir. You know, I just with the, the, the on paper, on, on, you know, just what he comes with, you know, I mean, he's not a world champion just because you know he i'm pretty sure he worked hard enough to get there he beat great opponents so i mean now, now it's time you know just to put it all together and you know just see who's the best uh major teams you know that's what the, the beauty of boxing is you know two great champions and at the end of the night at the end of the night only one's gonna come out the winner so um i'm for sure gonna you know i'm still working hard and i can't wait and I feel like my hard work will, will really show on Mr. Team. And the other champions in the division, you've got Murajon Akhmadaliev, you've got the newly crowned champion Stephen Fulton. I just want to get your opinion, Brandon, on, on those guys, if you've seen um, you know, much of them at all. Yeah, you know, they're, they're great fighters, great champions. And, you know, it's, uh, my fight is already set up. You know, hopefully everything goes my way, then I will see Stephen Fulton in September. But as of right now, you know, we're focused on Neri. Um, as far as the other champions, you know, I know it, it'll be a great, amazing fight with all of them. But I'm focused right now. I'm, I'm so excited uh, for this upcoming fight. You know, I've seen Neri fall. And I told my dad uh, that it would be an amazing fight against him. You know, now we're here, uh, you know, days away from facing him. So, you know, it's just an honor. It's just a blessing and, and a great opportunity. And... And what better way than to share a ring with a world champion? And not only that, but, you know, hopefully I take the belt home. And then after that, you know, we'll work on, you know, trying to take the belt away from the other champions. You know, I know they're they're training hard, and, and, and I can't wait for that. I can't wait to mix it up in there with the best of the best and prove, you know, 
that who's the best of the division, you know. And I want to ask you, you know, the last question I've got for you now, and it's it's on that basically. It's a unique it's a unique situation because you already know who you'll be fighting next if you win. Uh, you know, a unification against the aforementioned Stephen Fulton. You're not supposed to, of course, overlook anyone, but because you know that if you do win, he is next. I'm guessing it might be a bit hard to not visualize that fight happening. My question, though. Um, does it give you motivation knowing that if you win your next fight is a unification or does it do the opposite and maybe uh, become a bit of a distraction from what's directly in front of you? Oh, no, of course not. You know, our game plan right now is to focus on the fight. Um, I feel like if it comes to it, it'll come to it. But as of right now, you know, our, our big, biggest task and our opponent right now in front of us is Luis Neddy. And once after everything's over and done with, if I get the win, then we'll start, you know, preparations for uh, Stephen Fulton. But as of right now, you know, uh, we're working really hard. We're trying to, you know, even increase my work rate a little bit higher and, and my punch output, my power and my pressure, you know, just so that we can go at, uh, 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 just so we can go into a team team at 110%. I mean, I already feel at, at, at 100% at 100% right now. It's just a matter of, uh, you know, finishing the this training camp uh, strong this weekend. And after that, you know, just focus on weight. And, yeah, I mean, just wait for uh, May 15th. And, you know, I, I honestly can't wait. I'm, I'm super excited. This is what we wanted. And and after everything is over and done with, if I get the decision, then Stephen Fultz is next. And, but, no, I don't see it as a, as a, as a distraction. If anything, it's a motivation to know that I'm already going to have amazing great fights lined up for me and you know that's what we dreamed of you know this is what well you know basically what i started to do boxing for is to be in this big fight against big names and and you know prove to be the best that's a brilliant brilliant mindset to have my friend excellent and just finally brandon if you've got any closing words i've been telling you obviously for a long time there's a lot of guys over here in the uk that are supporting you that have supported omar and more and more i think that the fan base is growing all the time what's your message to those guys that support you so much from over here in the uk Man, you know, it's it's truly amazing. You know, I know you guys may not have the chance to come see me fight. You guys just see me from the TV. And, you know, you guys are miles and miles away. But, you know, the support is immense. I do appreciate it. And, you know, hopefully y'all tune in May 15th. It's going to be a great, great night of boxing. And, yeah, you know, I just come forward. I just want to give exciting fights. I want to fight these amazing champions and, you know, just prove to be the best and, I feel like if you're not in boxing to, to conquer and dominate the division or, or the sport of boxing, then I don't know what you're in boxing for. So I just want to give a big shout-out to my UK fans, to you for this opportunity, uh, for this interview. And, yeah, you know, I'm ready to go. I can't wait for May 15. So thank you guys for the support. Much love. Appreciate it. Okay, listen, Brandon, it's always great speaking with you, my friend. Best of luck for the 15th. I'll definitely be tuning in. I've got nothing else I want to I wanna watch more than that. And um, I'm sure we'll catch up soon after you get that win, my friend. I appreciate it. Thank you. Okay, now it's time for part two on this week's show. This part, of course, the news part of the show. However, there is no news. So that is... Uh, that's that's unusual. If anything develops from now to the end of the show, I will mention it at the very end. So, with none of that going on, let's move on to the preview part of the show. We're going to start here tomorrow night at the KRK in Russia. Over here, not much on the undercard, but the main event, we've got Magomed Kurbanov, who's 21 
and O. He takes on our very own Liam Smith, former 154 world champion. Uh, this one is for the vacant WBO international super welterweight title. It's a very risky fight for Liam Smith because, again, he's a guy that... You know, he's, he's been in, in, in some really big fights in his career and stuff like that. And, um, you know, he's coming off of some good wins. He's coming off of three wins in a row. He's coming off quite a long layoff. And I wouldn't have thought that there's much money in this fight here because this Kerbinov's supposed to be quite good. I haven't seen him fight as a pro, but 21-0, 13 KOs. Um, a win last time out against Dmitry Mikalenko, which was back in November. So he's been a lot more, you know, active sooner than... Um, Liam Smith. Liam Smith's last fight was against Roberto Garcia in December of 2019. Since then, uh, this this guy's had three fights. But yeah, I'm trying to look into his um, his background. I'm guessing he was probably quite a decent amateur. Um, but yeah, anyway, I'm not going to get into that now. He he's known as the Black Lion. He's 25 years of age. Um, all the best to Liam Smith. You know, it's uh, it's a tough fight. Like I say, I've heard good things about this guy here. Kerbinov, but Liam Smith's tough. Liam Smith can punch. He's experienced, much more experienced of the two. And um, I hope he can pull it off, man, because he still is probably one of the best fighters that we have pound for pound in the UK. Some people might not agree with that, but I think he's one of our best. He's he's mixed it at the top level. He's boxed Canelo. Uh, you know, he's boxed Jaime Mungia. I don't know. He's a good fighter. But anyway, speaking of Canelo, it is Canelo Fight Week, and now we go on to that card there. Uh, it takes place at the AT&T Stadium in Arlington, Texas, USA. Um, let's start with the undercard. We've got um, heavyweight Frank Sanchez, 17-0, in a 10-rounder against Nagy Aguilera, who's 21-10. We've got Kieran Conway. Kieran Conway, obviously a British fighter. He's got that one loss. He's 16-1 with a draw. He's got that one loss to Ted Cheeseman, which, by the way, was a really, really close fight. I've got a feeling that I might have even been... Oh, no, sorry, it was a draw to, to, to Ted Cheeseman. Uh, his loss came to... Who did he lose to? Derek Asese. Yeah, his draw with Ted Cheeseman. I've got a feeling I might have even been at that fight. Uh, yeah, I was at that fight, yeah. So, um, but you know, a lot of people thought he should have won that fight, by the way. Since then, he's kind of tread water, really. Hasn't done too much, but he's in there with Solomon Sissoko. 12-0, 8 KOs, um, a guy that signed to Anthony Joshua's promotional stable. And he was a bronze medalist in the 2016 Olympics. He lost to Daniel Yelusinov. Um He hasn't... I mean, he hasn't overly impressed me as a professional yet, I don't think, Sissoko. It's been a bit of a slow burn. Like I say, he's only had the 12 fights since 2016. Hasn't really boxed anyone of note. Well, I mean, he boxed Carlos Molina, so that looks bad on me. But apparently that fight was a lot closer than it should have been. But other than that, you know... Yeah, he hasn't pushed on from that Molina win, which was back in 2018. He's boxed a bunch of guys with, you know, with a number of losses since then. The guys he's boxed since then: 14 and three, 10 and three, 23 and nine, 23 and four, 21 and 10. This is a step up again, uh, but I hope Kieran Conway can do it. It's a big opportunity for him, but again, it's a it's a very hard fight. Let's let's not let's not kid ourselves. Uh, it'd be nice to see him win, but I'm not quite sure. Elsewhere on the card for the WBO light flyweight world title, Elwin Soto, 18 and one. He steps in against 
Katsunari Takayama, who's 32 and 8. That could be quite good there. But the main event, Canelo Alvarez, 55 and 1 with two draws. He fights here for uh, the WBO World Super Middleweight title, which Billy Joe Saunders has. Um, he's 30 and 0. But also, Canelo defends his WBC and WBA world super middleweight titles billy joe saunders like i say 30 and 0 um i'm gonna come to you first here eddie this is a fight that i think in the uk a lot of people give billy joe a chance in the us i don't think anyone gives billy joe a chance really but um you're one of the few people that i know in the us that i think know and appreciate how good billy joe is actually yeah yeah i was gonna say that too um, it's funny because, you know, not a lot of people really pay attention much to Billy Joe over, that are from here. But I think in this fight, they're going to get an opportunity to see, you know, some class. I mean, this is not, it's, it's not often, not constant. You get a chance to see two guys that is kind of, you know, with these kinds of abilities fight. And Billy Joe doesn't necessarily look like he would have that, that kind of sauce that we like to call it. You know what I mean? Where he can box, he can, he can defend. You know what I mean? He got great footwork. You know what I mean? Accurate from the outside. He's just he's just a good all around boxer. You know what I mean? He's got like uh, you know I don't want to say I don't, I'm not even gonna say that, but he's got let's just say he's got sauce and he can really box and he's and he's talented. So you know Canelo now Canelo may be the pound for pound for pound best fighter in the world right now. So regardless of how talented and how good Billy Joe is, he's still got to contend with Canelo. And I've seen you know I'm watching guys like uh, what's my man's name. I always struggle to remember. I don't know why, but um, I see a lot of guys just really struggling to land on Canelo, especially of re especially recently. He's been really, really good defensively, super, super sharp sh uh, counter puncher, and uh, he's just he's just he's just class. You know what I mean? It's going to be really difficult for Billy Joe to beat him, but I think he's going to make a hell of a name for himself in this fight though, because he's fighting one of the best right now. You know what I mean? He's, uh, definitely gonna get he's definitely gonna give himself a great I, i'm i'm certain he's gonna he's gonna uh give a good account of himself you know he's gonna show really the class that he has yeah and speaking of all of that you know boxing iq wise i've got to really go back in canelo's career to find someone who i think has the same iq as billy joe and you've got to go back a long way i think um you know Gennady Golovkin's got some ring IQ, but I, st I don't care what anyone says. I still think Billy Joe, with his slickness, with his, you know, his ring IQ, his ring generalship, I think he, 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 you know, he's he's got more of that than Gennady Golovkin. I really do, and I think you've got to go back to maybe a Miguel Cotto, who, which, you know, he 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 was old at that point when he fought Canelo, but Canelo didn't get him out of there. You might even have to go back to Floyd Mayweather. And that's, yeah. that's a long time ago. Um, the other thing, of course, is Billy Joe being a southpaw. You've got to go back, again, a far, far, you know, far way in, in Canelo's resume to see the last time he boxed a southpaw, which, to my knowledge, I think was James Kirkland, who he took out easy. But the fight before that was a really tricky one, Eris Landy Lara, which could have gone either way. Lara is a difficult puzzle to solve. He moves a lot, but he still can punch. He's still he's quick. He's he's crafty. You know what I mean. He's closer to what you would think a Billy Joe Saunders would be Saunders would be like, but different. You know what I mean. I think Billy Joe's a little a, a little. I don't forgive me for saying I don't want to say better. You know, but he's a little he's at least just a little different. It's a little yeah, different. Yeah. Laura uses his legs. I think even a little more 
you know, sometimes a little bit too much, you know what I mean? Um, but yeah, you're right. I mean, you gotta, you gotta look, he does, he's never in with people who can really challenge in boxing in, in, in boxing uh, skill wise. And I think in this fight, it's going to be a little different. He actually can challenge, challenge him a bit. You know what I mean? A lot, a lot more than what, you know, most people would think. Yeah, and I think for the first time in quite a long time, Canelo is going to respect the man in front of him. Um, I don't think he respected Yildirim, obviously. I don't think he respected Callum Smith. I think he did respect Sergei Kovalev, actually. So it's not too far back. But, you know, he, he's been in there with plenty of guys that he just hasn't respected. He's been far superior to. But I think he's going to be a little bit cautious. Maybe that's a better word. Where I don't think he's been as cautious with these other people. I think that Billy Joe has, like I say, got such a high ring IQ. Um, and I think that he... I don't want to say Canelo has to be careful. But he has to think. He has to think twice. Um, and I think that will be the case. I think it's going to be a bit of a chess match early on. I'd be stunned to see like a, an early knockout or anything like that. However, I still think that Canelo is a is a clear favourite. Um, I would love to see Billy Joe do it, but I can't see a way because Canelo for me is special. He is one of the pound for pound best in the sport, if not the pound for pound best in the sport. Um, but yeah, Billy Joe as well, he's another guy who can look dreadful if he's fighting someone who's, you know, who is below his level, where he's a guy that will, I don't think, take training seriously if he knows he's going to beat the guy easy. You've got to go back in his career to, to, to you know, to see an A1 performance, and that was against David Lemieux, which was almost three and a half years ago now. That's a long time in boxing. That's a long time. He's now in his 30s, and, um, you know, Canelo Alvarez, I think, will bring will will we'll bring that, that side out of Billy Joe where we will see the best of him. Um, however, it has been three and a half years since we've seen anything close to that. So I am a bit worried about that. I still think it's going to be a chess match early. I still think it's going to be exciting. But I do think in the later part of the fight, when Canelo warms into it, I think he will... You know, he will take over. He will start to dominate. I wouldn't be surprised to see a stoppage late on. I wouldn't be surprised to see Canelo win on points. I don't see a way Billy Joe can win. I'd I'd love to be wrong. Um, but yeah, it, it is a brilliant fight. It's a fight that I've wanted to see for a long, 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 long time. And like I say, Billy Joe hasn't been in big fights for a long time. Um, but yeah, this this is one of the best fights that can be made. Um, in boxing period, I think so. I'm really excited for it. Um, but yeah, it's it's a tough ask for Billy Joe, especially when he's coming off fights against Martin Murray, who came out of retirement against Marcelo Esteban Coseres, and that was a fight that he kind of scraped through. It was um, well, he was losing it potentially on the cards till he got the knockout in round 11, and that fight he had against Shefat Asufi. I mean, that's what he's coming off. And the one before that was against Charles Adamu, you know, so he has had a dreadful run. Um, and Canelo's a guy where even if he thinks he's better than you, he will still take you serious. You know, he doesn't ever drop his game. Um, even though Billy Joe has done, I still think he's going to raise it. I'm just not sure it's going to be enough. Uh, it doesn't matter how much he raises it. But again, I hope I'm wrong. I'd love to see him do it. Um, it would be, it'd be a, probably one of the best wins of all time. For a British fighter on the road. Yep. I agree with it all. Okay. Well, there you go. 
Okay, well that's it for the preview part of the show. Uh, we did the 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 review part in part one. We brought you the the sole guest on this week's podcast. Part two, no news just yet. If anything changes, I'll talk about it on the outro. We did the preview part just there, and to wrap up the show, the final thing to do is to come in with the outro, which I will do in just a few seconds. Okay, and this wraps up episode 290 of the Box Hard Podcast. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. Eddie Chambers has been with me for the duration of the show. A massive thank you to our sole guest on this week's podcast, the reigning and undefeated WBA Super Bantamweight World Champion, Mr. Brandon Figueroa. The biggest thanks of all, though, goes out to you, the listeners. There has been one or two pieces of news break whilst we've been recording the show. Joshua Boazzi has had his opponent announce for May the 15th. He'll be boxing the undefeated 15-0 Daniel Blender Dos Santos, who, by the way, has only beaten three guys with winning records, and the best of those three guys had a record of 7-2 and two with four draws. It's, it's just a really bad opponent, uh, considering the way they speak about Boatsy and the types of guys they were talking about him fighting soon, and it's late notice again. Uh, MTK Global have had to postpone their May 14th fight night. It was going to be headlined by Jay Harris. They're now Looking to move that to a new date. That'll be announced soon. Top rank have announced three fight nights in June. Shakur Stevenson will be boxing... Jeremiah Nakafila for the interim super featherweight world title on June 12th. Naoya Inoue will will be headlining on June 19th against Michael Das Marinas. Uh, this will be a defense of Inoue's IBF and WBA world titles. And finally, um, Lomachenko makes his hotly anticipated ring return against Japan's Masayoshi Nakatani. Nakatani is one of the few guys to have taken Tiafimo Lopez the distance. So that should be a great fight there. And the final piece of news. Um, oh, sorry, that fight, by the way, is on June 26th. And the final piece of news is some very sad last-minute news. Um, Terry Harper has been forced to withdraw from her unification fight, which was set for May 15th against Hyun Machoy, due to damaging her hand in her final spa to wrap up camp. So it's extremely unlucky for her. She will undergo an operation next week. I'm wishing Terry Harper a speedy recovery. But that's about everything from myself. Enjoy your weekends, people. Stay safe and we shall see you all again next week.